Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we're going to be digging into a little bit of what's going on in our own lives. Uh, we just had classes yesterday, and with classes uh, just came a reminder of the importance of denominations. Uh, I was selected and voted to go to Synod this summer. So if anybody's listening to this and you know that you'll be at Synod, maybe we can, yeah. can meet up along the way. That could be fun. Yeah. If we'll have time, it sounds like it will be a busy a busy time, but I'm looking forward to connecting with, with other uh, CRC members and pastors. I think it'll be a fun week, though it will be a very, I think, serious one as well. Yeah coming up this June. And so it's given us a little time to just consider the value of denominations. Uh, A few months ago, I think it was back in September, we did an episode on ecumenism and how far Christians can disagree but still work together. And so this is, you could say, maybe a follow-up to that. And just So it's time for us to reflect on our membership in the CRC. And I think anybody who's in a church that is a part of a denomination must, from time to time, evaluate their their denomination and whether or not denominationalism is even a good thing, because Mm -hmm. there are plenty of Christians, um, as I'm sure many of our audience will know. Maybe you are even a member of a non-denominational church. There are lots of Christians who don't see much of a need for denominations, uh, or at least they don't see that, that, that denominations are required. Um, and so the question before us then that we'll be looking at today in this episode is denominations for or against. Now it's clear, uh, you can even see on the, the logo for our podcast, you can see it says by Almond Valley or Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church. Yeah. Uh, so we are a part of the Christian Reformed Church. And so you know where our biases are, yeah. sure, but uh, I think it's good for us to think through uh, denominations. I'll tell you, as I was becoming Reformed and and sort of thinking through various options, I wasn't always convinced that I needed to join a denomination per se. I thought maybe I could join some sort of church network that wasn't structured the same way a denomination mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. or I could just become maybe a pastor of a non-denominational local church. Um, but over time I was pretty strongly and remained strongly convinced of the importance of denominations. But let's start, Mark, mm-hmm. with the reasons against. It's funny, as we were brainstorming this, I think we came up with more reasons against more quickly than we did reasons for. Yeah. So what are some of the best reasons against denominations? Well, it, overall it's interesting to think about how there there are some who would oppose denominations because they would say because there should just be one denomination that's the Roman Catholic Church or you know so <laughs> they're opposed to the splintering effect of right. denominationalism but 
on the other far extreme, you would have people who are opposed to denominations because they would say there should be not even one denomination, mm-hmm. but um, each church should be an entity unto itself that is under the direct authority of Christ himself. Um, Belgian Confession might sound a little bit like it leans in that direction, but I don't think it actually does. Hmm. Um, but that would be the non-denominational response. Mm-hmm. So you have um, rejections of denominationalism really from both sides of um, one one who would say, no, there should just be one church and we should all be organizationally together, mm-hmm. um, Roman Catholic view, or the non-denominational side, which, which says we are all one church in the spirit, no matter if mm-hmm. this church has speaks in tongues and that church has bishop, uh, you know, um, sort of, uh, well, I guess there wouldn't be bishops in this case, but has <laughs> has sort of their pastor who does things differently, organizes the church differently. They have elders, we have staff, and we're all one church in Christ. And so why do we have to separate ourselves into denominations? And so I, I think yeah. it's interesting to think about those poles because obviously mm-hmm. we fall somewhere in the middle because we are a member of a Protestant denomination. Mm-hmm. And so um, I think one of the non-denominational arguments against denominations is that they are too bureaucratic, um, they waste time, they waste kingdom resources, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps somebody would even say they waste money, um, sort of feeding into a bureaucracy instead of just doing ministry on the ground level, um, you know, to use a military analogy, the boots on the ground kind of approach to church where yeah. really what we should be focusing on is ripping. Mm-hmm. And maybe Modesto and Manteca, but um, it's all we can do just to like see re- um, reformation, revitalization, revival in this town. So why do we have to be a part of a denomination hmm. that's doing things far away somewhere else? Yeah, so I think a lot of people's suspicions of government and big government and needing to drain the swamp, <laughs> that sort of mentality I think can also uh, affect the way we think of denominations and we'll think of... Uh, our denomination has gotten too large. There's too many mm. staff, and maybe that's true. I'm I'm not denying that that could be the case. Um, some denominations may need to sort of, I don't know, trim the fat a little bit um, and focus on certain things a little bit more, and some some things a little bit less. Mm. Mm. Um, I think that's a valid debate going on in our own denomination, even right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, it's just it's this whole thing sort of snowballs out of control. That's the fear, yeah. and that can impede the, the sort of everyday ministry of evangeliz- evangelism and preaching the gospel to your neighbors and to those in your immediate community. So, yeah, why do you need somebody in, in some location thousands of miles away yep. telling you what you should or should not pray about at a church service or mm-hmm. uh, telling you which books you should or should not read? Uh, and so, yeah, oh. the ultimate example of it historically is Martin Luther's trip to Rome, right? Yeah. Where where he goes to Rome to <laughs> the Vatican point. and he sees this crazy apparatus of corruption and money and which he thought and, was going to be this great yeah. Christian city, right? This eternal city, and he goes there and he's like, "I'm a part of this." Yeah, I like this is what I I mm-hmm. uh, you know I'm a a member of um mm-hmm. and so he comes back and that really sparks his desire for reformation that's not the whole story of the reformation of course but i think that's an extreme historic example of um that would be maybe in favor of somebody who would say no 
that's what mm-hmm. denominations can lead to. And so they would they would perhaps say, because there's so much danger for that, let's just localize, mm-hmm. radically localize the ministry. Yeah, there's a fear that organizational structures eventually and inevitably become corrupt. And so therefore, let's reduce the amount of organization, organizational mm-hmm. structure that we have mm-hmm. so we can just focus on what's what's really important and what our little church cares about the most. Um, so that's one thing. We could, we could make, maybe could call that the bureaucratic reason against mm-hmm. uh, having a denomination. Another one, these are very similar, uh, but one that I thought of is this, what I could call the liability reason where uh, this is often why people will leave denominations over the past couple of hundred years, really, uh, the main denominations, you could think of uh, the even the historic Protestant ones, the Reformed, the Lutheran, the Anglican, um, and then you have the Anabaptists as well. Then you even have the more new, recent American frontier denominations, mm. various Baptist groups uh, or Pentecostal groups mm-hmm. or Church of Christ, things like that. It, for the most part, Protestant evangelicalism has tended to move towards the left um, in its denominations. Um, and so this is why you have a lot of fragmentation that happens um, over the past 150 years where groups get fed up with their church, their denomination moving far to the left. And so they want to leave. And so the the idea here is that oh, our denomination is really just a liability. If eventually everything seems to be mm-hmm. going left, and that's just going to get further and further to the left. Eventually, nobody's going to be believing the Bible anymore. And so, why stay in this this big structure that is just moving in a direction we don't want to go in? And so, it's seen as a liability. Um, and so, if you send your kids to the denominational colleges, it's going to be a liability. It's gonna, their faith is going to be called into question. And so that's that's a lot of the reason for people abandoning denominations because the risk that the denomination will start to move in a different direction mm-hmm. than your local church mm-hmm. will want to head. And so why bother with such a situation? Um, yeah, I think we could think of denominations as being like an anchor. Mm-hmm. And so for better or for worse, that anchor is there. And, yeah. and if it's anchored, we'll get to that in the reasons for denominations, if it's anchored in a good harbor, if it's anchored in a good place mm-hmm. um, that that is healthy, a good place to be, then that's great. That's a huge argument in favor because it anchors yeah. you and your little church, which could be tempted towards all kinds of other directions in the harbor of the truth, you might say. Yeah. Um, but if that anchor moves, mm-hmm. you go with it. You go in some ways uh, to where where that anchor is, is mm-hmm. sort of put. So. It could weigh you down <laughs> um, yep. to, to stick with the anchor analogy. Um, and and it has, I'm sure, for many people who have left denominations, um, our own denomination, the, the CRC, split off from the Reformed Church in America in 1857. And so um, mm-hmm. we, we got the sense that it was anchored in the wrong place and mm-hmm. so decided, well, we need to be anchored somewhere else. Um, yeah, And, and so I, I, I think that is a really... That bears out in history. I mm-hmm. think that that argument that, or, or at least that is the argument that historic churches have made. We want to, we're being tied down, we're being weighed down in a in mm-hmm. a wrong direction, even because of denominational decisions. Yeah. So that brings us up to an interesting question. I think mm-hmm. really is 
if it seems like denominations tend to just go the the way of the buffalo eventually and they all seem to go to the left what's the, what's going on mm. and how do we how do we stop that um how do we prevent our denomination from from drifting um one way or the other but how do we keep keep it remaining the same that's that's a difficult uh thing to wrap our heads around um yeah well, i mean we just talked about deconstruction yeah uh, in our in a previous episode and it's pretty similar and it's a good question to ask is what might we need to deconstruct mm-hmm. and what what the especially cultural expressions that we find maybe as we study the bible more and more wow it's the Christian Reformed Church or our local congregation, we just kind of do this because that's what we've always done. Mm-hmm. And here's a biblical command to uh, to do something else. So we can deconstruct mm-hmm. that. And, and I think that that's a part of this conversation um, yeah. is to be evaluating all the time um, how we do things locally and how things are done in the Christian Reformed Church. And, and hopefully that's always matching up with Scripture. So... Mm-hmm. Um, but one has to at least ask the question occasionally, like your original point yeah. of, hey, um, is this a good thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just denominations in general, but, but participation in, in the Christian Reformed Church. That, it's a good thing to ask that. Um, it's not like a marriage <laughs> in, in that um, yeah. when you're married, you make an oath to, to until death do us part, we're going to make this work. Yeah. Um, and there are, of course, very sad, isolated situations in Scripture where a divorce is permitted, but this is not quite like that. I think that um, churches um, should occasionally wonder and ask, and elders are responsible to ask, "Is this a good fit for us?" Um, yeah. Is you know whether that's um, the past is the pastor a good fit for us? Is the denomination a good fit right now? Um, these are adult conversations that are difficult to have, and hopefully there's a lot of encouragement in those conversations, but that's just the kind of things that Christians in America have to deal with today. Yeah, that gets to an interesting feature of denominationalism. Where does power lie in the church? Yeah, yeah. Is it in the local body of assembled believers who live in a specific geographical location and meet together regularly, or is church authority much more centralized in a mm-hmm. like in a certain structure is it synod that has that has church power or is it or is it the local body and that's a perennial question that Christians really I think have been dealing with for the past 2000 years mm-hmm. um, and it's been answered in various ways throughout time yeah um, when I hope I hope in my comment too I I want to be clear I don't think an elder board is called to ask that question at every elders meeting. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like you don't want to live in a constant state (laughs) of being not anchored, you know, then you're really not anchored to to that uh, denomination Um, or to that pastor for that matter. It's like at every elders meeting, we aren't asking if I should continue to be the pastor at Ammon Valley. Um, but occasionally it is mm-hmm. good for my family and for the church to, to ask that question. Yeah. Uh, maybe yearly, that's not such a bad thing. Right. Or um, maybe every four or five years for a church to ask, mm-hmm. where do we see our denomination at right now? And how are we going to remedy that if we do see it going mm-hmm. in some directions that we don't like? Um, which is kind of the process that our church has gone through is saying mm-hmm. we're going to engage with some things that we d- are discouraged by or disagree with. But at this point, 
Um, mm-hmm. In our analysis of things as they are right now, don't think that it's it's something that we have to pull out of as a as a yeah. church, Almond Valley. So, so anyways, that's kind of where we're at a little. But we can get maybe to another um, argument against denominations is more of a spiritual argument um, that people can be proud of their denominational heritage hmm. and uh, that can even enter into a real sinful, prideful attitude towards people who are not in our denomination. It can become sectarian in nature. Yeah. And I think this is one of the main arguments that people in the ecumenical movement would mm-hmm. would point to. Um, I saw a comic strip recently where there was a huge tree, you know, I'm sure we've all seen these, the denominational tree, and it sort of all goes back to the apostles where it was just a straight line, and then there was mm-hmm. 1054, the great schism between East and West, uh, East and Western Christianity, and mm-hmm. then, of course, in 1517, it just starts to blow up all over the place <laughs> because the Reformation happens, and here we are in a little branch far away from the root, and um, the the person in the comic strip is saying, and it's so good that we are finally the ones who got it right um, after mm-hmm. all this time. I don't know of many Christians who actually think that way, and so I think that it's the comic is facetious. But that can happen, where yeah. um, where a small sect or a little group, um, this happens in the reform circles with a church like the Netherlands Reformed um, Denomination, mm-hmm is just this tiny group of people mm-hmm. who believe they are the the only ones basically who are understanding things accurately even in the yep. course of all of human history and all of the Catholic Church today. So um, yeah. that is obviously an argument against denominationalism. I don't think it's um, related to the core of the argument, but yeah, it's, I think it's a denominationalism result. originally was yeah. a way of saying, hey, we agree on certain fundamental mm-hmm. what you could say lowercase Catholic lowercase c catholic values doctrines beliefs uh, but we have these abiding differences and so in order to dwell to get uh, together in mm. in harmony in the best way possible uh, but to also allow room for our disagreements denominations were a way of doing that yeah um, and so it has a way of so i think built into the the original idea of denominationalism if we can say that there was an original idea of denominationalism, was a say well, it was a way of saying, how do we agree to disagree? Because we recognize the catholicity yeah. of of, our, of the church. We the, profess the creed that right. the Catholic Church on the street does. Yeah, but how do we dwell then in some sort of moderated unity? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, one of the heartbeats I think of a of historic denominationalism is to work against sectarianism those are not to be the same things mm. um so denomina- denominationalism i think helps us to see our connection to other christians just as much as it allows us to be honest with our differences from other christians yeah and i richard mao in his book calvinism in the las vegas airport talks about his his persuasion towards Calvinism, and I think a pretty charitable way, by basically saying, um, to paraphrase his, his point, he, he says, look, I, I believe everyone should become a Christian. That, that, that is an essential for for life in this world, is mm-hmm. to follow Christ, to know him, to be forgiven of your sins. And then 
I believe the best way to be Christian, he says, is Protestant, and the best way to be Protestant is to be Reformed, and in his case, um, the best way to be Reformed is to, I believe, he might be in the Presbyterian Church. Um, and so the non-negotiable is the creed, is the scriptures itself, but, um, and I'm going to recognize that I do have beliefs that I hold strongly to, mm-hmm. and even our church, we teach Reformed theology, and we're not ashamed of that, but um, but must always be careful not to become prideful of that, as if um, as if this is the only truth. Remember, we've mentioned Bavinck's lecture on Calvinism. Calvinism yeah. isn't the only truth, he says, mm-hmm. and he just sees the the breadth of Catholic Christianity and appreciates it genuinely. Yep. So I think that we need to hold into that tension of holding to truths while also saying, um, but those uh, those charismatics who who worship Christ and who do things very differently and have a different theology, um, we still love that they worship Christ. Where Christ yeah. is preached, I rejoice, says yeah. the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I really appreciate it. It's an old quote from J.I. Packer. I may not get it exactly right. This is just off the top of my head, but he basically is telling people how he explains the way in which he is a Christian. And he says, I am a Christian, I am Catholic, hmm. I am Protestant, which will sound confusing. Maybe he doesn't order it that way. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, it could be. Yeah. But then he says, and I am Reformed, and I am Anglican, and I am Evangelical. Maybe mm. I got the yeah. order wrong. It's kind of like Russian dolls, the way he's unpacking <laughs> the logic there. Yeah. But he's saying, like, I start with my with being a Christian, the creeds, the sort of fundamentals of, of the Christian faith, and then from there I identify as a Protestant um, as opposed to being a Roman Catholic, and then when it comes to being a Protestant, I am Reformed and I'm an Anglican and then I'm Evangelical. And so you can see how Packer would then see his commitment to hmm. historic Christianity as being a Christian. Uh, and As being more foundational, so you could probably so you, say. Yeah, yeah and I, I yeah. think that would be true for him, mm-hmm. although he's a very committed Reformed Anglican. He's a lover of the Puritans, for, for example. Um, but he sees similarities and maybe this is what has gotten Packer into trouble. Packer was on Mm. board with the Catholics and evangelicals together, uh, statement that came out in 1994. Um, or I think it's called evangelicals and Catholics together ECT. Mm. Um, but he saw his, 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 uh, commitment to early Christianity, and is able to share a sort of consensus or a classical view of Christianity with Roman Catholics or Eastern Orthodox on things as foundational as the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed um, and other early decla- declarations of faith sure. uh, from the early church. And so you can sort of see how denominationalism in all of this is not uh, it's not inherently sectarian in the sense that we think we're the only ones who really understand the right. truth. Uh, the CRC, as far as I've I've known it for the past four years, does not seem like that at all. There's nobody who thinks the CRC is the one true church. Um, yeah, I think that was the case maybe 50 years ago, <laughs> but uh, I, I have not really experienced people who think in that way okay. um, in, in all my life in the CRC. So. That's yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> well, yeah. So that has been a positive change, I would say. Yeah. Um, maybe the last 
negative that uh, for denominations that people would point to is the famous text of John 17, where Jesus calls for unity in in the church um, among his disciples who follow after him and who continue the ministry of Christ um, after he ascends to heaven. And so um, some people would say, because Jesus prayed for that, that we would be one, hmm. um, then we should be one, and maybe that would be an argument in favor of the Roman Catholic opposition to denominations. Hmm. Um, or it should at least for some be an argument in favor of moving in that direction of oneness, even organizational oneness, mm-hmm. um, that we would have kind of open borders, you might say, uh, across, yeah. that, you know, hey, have that Methodist come and preach at your church, and mm-hmm. and it, there, it doesn't really matter what somebody's exact theological persuasion is, but we're all just one church, and so let's be a big happy family together. Mm-hmm. That, that would be, I would say, honestly, a bit of a naive, <laughs> um, mm-hmm argument against denominations, but it certainly is one that is present among both non-denominationalists and Roman Catholics, probably. That's an interesting passage, though, because I think you can also use it in favor of denominationalism yeah. in the sense that I think denominationalism is an earnest attempt at unity insofar as it is achievable um, in this world. Mm-hmm. And so to the church that is purely non-denominational and wants to have no official connection to other churches beyond its itself. Um, John 17 doesn't, I think it, it does work against that a little yeah. bit. Um, so it, that's an interesting passage. But they might I, say, but we're just, we're not rejecting all denominations. We're just doing our thing over here yeah. in, in our corner of the world. And we'll take anyone from any denomination, and mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that would probably be. I, I agree with what you said that it is, it is by nature an organizational rejection of mm-hmm. th- good things like accountability and denominational mm-hmm. structures. But that's probably how they would respond and say, "Well, we are a part of the Catholic Church." Yeah. So then that you would reduce it's just spiritual. unity to vis- invisible unity. Yeah. Uh, and you don't have to have visible unity. You don't have have to have any organizational unity with other churches. Uh, but if you're spiritually one, if you're if you're in Christ and they're in Christ, why do you need to have any sort of visible connection to them um, or affiliation? I think that's a popular American attitude yeah. towards denominations. Yeah, for sure. it's just that sort of autonomy view that we have personal autonomy over ourselves, and our our local church should have autonomy over itself entirely. And you don't want so and so from Timbuktu telling you in your church what to say or believe or think. Yep. yep. And so you want to disaffiliate so that you can be self sovereign in that way. Or to the Bible itself or you Yeah. Know, um, so your commitment, spirit. your understanding of scriptures teaching on various things. If somebody else in your denomination is telling you you're wrong, you don't want to hear that, so mm you will naturally push against it. Yeah. Um, so uh, as we shift into <laughs> maybe some positives. Um, yeah, we have everybody thinking, I, man, I don't want to be a part of a denomination. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> um, so we, we did note, I, I think I'd summarize the whole episode in this way, that it seems like like we came up with more reasons not to, but the mm-hmm. reasons in favor of denominationalism are weightier. Yeah. And so there might be more individual reasons um, in this little list not to be a part of one, but the reasons or the the call towards um, denominational unity 
to me is is very weighty, even if it is just three or four things that we'll list here. And so the first one that I put is friendship and camaraderie that happens in the denomination. And that mm-hmm. probably isn't the first one that people think of um, when they, you know, uh, uh, when they a- a- answer the question, they would probably think first of accountability, which we'll get to in a moment. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the great blessing of being in the Christian Reformed Church from when I was born till today, except for uh, three years we were part of an RCA congregation in Linden, Washington, is that camaraderie and friendship that builds over decades mm-hmm. of interacting with people um, who are Christian Reformed, certainly many of pastors who are not Christian Reformed, local pastors who I've met in my ministry and in my um, seminary days and so forth, that those are all good connections to make, but there is a special friendship and camaraderie among Christian Reformed people. And hmm. I think that's really neat. It's a great blessing. I, I don't think it is necessarily sectarian. I don't think it's necessarily exclusive of people of other denominations. But when I run into, um, for example, at seminary, um, my good friend Stephen, who's from the Christian Reformed Church of Nigeria, um, there's, a, there's a neat camaraderie attached to that already. And uh, we just me and Steven and my Nigerian friend David and my Indonesian friend Yuzo and uh, you know we we get together and well, not anymore of course but there there's a there's an understood fellowship that happens um very quickly when you know we we do believe um in the doctrines of grace and so forth yeah yeah it's what is the old psalm? There's a blessing when brothers dwell together in unity. Yeah, yeah. Something to that effect. Sure. The How good and me. pleasing How it is. How good it is, yeah. 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 Um, and so then there's a an expressed uh, vision or understanding that is agreed upon. This is just true for human creatures in general, right? Yeah. When we agree on something uh, and it's we're clear about our agreement, that can lead to a sort of fraternity and love and joy. Um that is different when there's when that when we are without that sort of unity and so yeah if you come to like a classes meeting you will often the best part of classes meetings in my opinion are lunchtime lunch yeah lunches yeah <laughs> and so you can you just chat sit and talk with other with other pastors or elders deacons uh and just catch up with one another uh, there's that's the most exciting part of the day by far. Yeah, um, and I, th- I think this is an important one. That's why I wanted to start here because sometimes people see denominations as only their theology. Mm. And they don't even think about the human relationships that we need in this world, fellowship. Yeah, um, love. We, we need to be in fellowship. We need to grow in friendships, yeah. to, to be, get along with people who are not like us and so forth. And and I think that when a denomination is only regarded as the contents of its theology, hmm. we're going to miss out on something very, very significant there. So, yeah, that's a great um, point. I, I think it's a very biblical principle that uh, Jesus called 12 disciples to mm-hmm. him, and they were friends. I'm sure they bickered with each other. That's some accounts of that, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know everyone gets mad at James and John when they ask who's going to be by Jesus' right hand and his new kingdom comes. And and so they have to live together and get along and, and grow. And you see in some cases where that goes badly in scripture, but overall that is a call that we're, we're called to, hmm. to be at peace with one another and to be peacemakers and to work towards that yeah. with friends. 
Yeah. So that's a good good place to start, I think. Um, my mind just quickly jumped to Acts chapter 15 uh, mm-hmm. when I think about reasons why why you need a denomination. So in that story, the question is circumcision um, and the churches throughout the region of the evangelized part of the world uh, were wondering, do Gentiles need to be circumcised as they become Christians? Do they basically, do they need to become Jews in order to become Christians? And so this is a pretty big church or pretty, pretty big question that was shaking the church. And I mean that with a capital C church. So, um, all the elders and leaders from the various churches throughout the the known world begin to come to Jerusalem to convene a meeting to talk about this and to pray about this together. And in the end, the spirit guides them to come up sort of with a statement and a position on mm-hmm. the whole thing. Using saying, scripture. Using yeah, scripture. Amos. Uh, yeah. And they say it seems best to us and to the Holy Spirit uh, to, to say that no, Gentiles don't need to be circumcised in order to become Christians. Uh, they don't need to become Jews as a halfway point mm-hmm. and then become Christians. They can just become members of the new covenant um, without without becoming Jews first. Yeah. And so what, what you see there is the church coming together in its leadership. In an organized way. In an organized, orderly yeah. way, coming yeah. up with a single position. And there were people who, who disagree, uh, who didn't quite see eye to eye, but eventually something was put a statement was put together and it was distributed throughout the churches and it became the standard. And to this day, Gentiles like Mark and I, (laughs) yep, (laughs) and most of you, I'm sure uh, do not need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so that to me, I, I don't know how you could read that well and not come away from that thinking that churches are, responsible to come together and to think together and it's not just what any one church Mm -hmm. says or thinks uh, but that there is a shared um, uh, authority Mm -hmm. shared responsibility Um, and that what happens at that council is binding yeah is is meaningful Mm -hmm. and practical for local churches so yep. I, I totally agree with your point. I don't think you could read Acts 15 and come away thinking, we're just going to do our, yeah. over, our, our own little thing over here and um, we'll come up with our own theology. And, and we hope it lines up with what you guys are saying because yeah, we're going to do it ourselves. Right. So I think that at the very least, this passage makes me in, be in favor of being in a church that is connected to other churches in some sure. officially organized way. Yeah. Um, I think historic Protestant denominations or Catholics are can read this passage and say, oh yeah, we have something that is similar to that. <laughs> right. I think a non-denominational person reading that will have to make some interesting jumps hmm. in trying to explain how a non-denominational church can function in that way. Um, and so that, that for me became kind of an open and shut case yeah it was that was simple well it's a great example because non-denominationalism seems great when things are going well yeah but when a pastor is manipulating people or when a theological issue like gay marriage comes Mm -hmm. and um 
there's one church goes this way, the other church goes that way. Uh, there, it is good that we mm-hmm. could, in an organized way, gather and establish what we believe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's why I'm glad right now to be a part of the Christian Reformed Church because we are gathering this coming yeah. June to decide what we believe and what we covenant to believe together through this human sexuality report. And and mm-hmm. that is, it's a Acts 15 kind of situation mm-hmm. um, where we're going to hopefully establish, this is the biblical teaching on not just same-sex activity, but on a multitude of other issues concerning sexuality, which people in our world, of course, are very confused about, and there are competing ideas. It's good mm-hmm. to gather in an organized way and yeah. hash it out over the course of a week. Yeah, and the Proverbs are full of commendations of gathering other opinions, other voices to to speak into something. And so it's not a bad thing to listen to other Christians mm-hmm. and to think together through mm-hmm. something, which is what Synod in its best form is, is an attempt to do. It's an attempt to bring leaders together and to talk together. And so things can be discussed and scripture can be weighed that's the ultimate point of acts 15 is to listen to the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, what do the scriptures teach uh, and to listen to the holy spirit and to make a binding decision um, and so yeah that just i think is unity comes from that yeah that that's how we are unified well oh, of totally. course we're unified most in christ and in his work and so there's a spiritual unity but I think God also recognizes that we will need a sense of unity with more people than just in our church in the world as Satan and um, his kingdom oppose the church. We're we're going to need something bigger to be a part of um, for our, uh, not just for our motivation because we are always motivated by our unity with Christ, but I think God is realistic that we need friends and we need mm-hmm. people who we can look to who are, you know, in a denomination. There are people much smarter than me in our mm-hmm. denomination. And I, sometimes I don't always agree with them, but you still have to recognize it's good that I have unity with those people that I can mm-hmm. rely on and look to and read um, because that hopefully will also motivate me to, to move forward in Christ, in holiness, in service of him. Um, mm. I think there's a psychological element to that, um, yeah. to that unity that that we we do need, um, yeah, and not just feeling alone keeps us sharp, even yep. when there are disagreements. Right, and it's not to say that denominations are all, everybody's agreed. I think that no. that's patently obvious. It's that, it's not true in the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, which sort of prides itself on, on that unity. That's true. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of division in the Roman church, even in the Orthodox church. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole thing with Russia and the, in the Ukraine right now is creating quite a stir in the Orthodox church because a lot of the Russian Orthodox church is for it. And other mm. parts of the Orthodox church are very adamantly against it. Yeah, And so, yeah, this isn't to say that denominations or, or groups or communions of, of Christians are always agreed at all points. They certainly aren't. And yeah. so it's a good practice to be a part of a denomination where people disagree. Yeah, and we don't even say that as a as a critique of Roman Catholicism or the Orthodox movement. It's like no, that that's just, just the, the nature of human. being together and, and working <laughs> things out, you know? Yeah. Um, this, so the question then is, well, how much agreement do we absolutely have to have? Yeah. 
Um, and that is a perennial question. Sure. Uh, and that's part of what's going on in our own denomination right now is if, do we even have that sort of essential agreement on crucial things like the, the authority of scripture, the authority mm-hmm. of, of God's word as yep. he speaks. Yeah, of how we read the word. Those, yeah, yeah, how we read it, how we are to understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, those kinds of things are really fundamental. Uh, and so that's yeah. what's being, there's a shakedown happening. And I think that uh, we want to be lights in the middle of it. And we want to, uh, at least here between Mark and I, I think we want to be uh, witnesses to the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. We want to listen to his word. We want to go with where his word goes. That's all we want. And so uh, that's what we're we're committed to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, another passage, as I said, we said John 17, that comes to mind. But the in the New Testament, there's also all sorts of passages in Paul, especially where he's calling people for unity in the church mm-hmm. or he's calling for an end to divisions between people. Uh, so you can think of Euodia and Syntyche. Yeah. Example. Or do you follow Apollos or Peter or yeah. Paul or no, we, we, we follow all Christ. Christ together. Yeah. In Ephesians chapter four, he tells us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace for there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called the one mm-hmm. hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, mm. one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so, yeah, I think that the, this is clear that Christians in so far as we're able should strive for unity. Mm. I think again, another perennial question is, how can we have unity if there is no agreement? Um, and so a lot of people think, well, we must have theological purity mm. and we just have to hope that theological purity at all times leads to unity. But what happens when a very vocal leader within a strong denomination says, Hey, I have a different opinion and I want people to join me. Well, often there are splits. So how can a denomination work towards unity when there is disagreements? Uh, It often takes what Paul says in Philippians 2, a strong dose of humility, uh, a strong dose of counting others more significant than ourselves, Mm -hmm. being willing to listen to other arguments and being willing to say we're wrong. Those sorts of Christian fundamentals, those ethical fundamentals that we as Christians should be learning and should be um, growing in in our lives help us to maintain unity and to see mm. how when, even when there are disagreements we can still work through these disagreements yeah. and fight for for peace and fight for unity that is genuine unity that is rooted in scripture and not just in a common decision to play nice and act like everything is okay uh, and so yeah and that unity does not require that we agree on absolutely everything yeah I think that's part of what leads to this splintering and sectarian kind of spirit. Yep. Um, it, it's, I, I'm so glad that you used the Ephesians 4 text of, of calling us to maintain unity and peace, mm-hmm. to, to strive towards unity, because there are so, so many commands in Scripture, you know, do not commit adultery, do not lie, do not steal, do not murder. We can just sort of think that holiness is about just what we don't do, mm-hmm. the negative force of the commands, Here's one where the positive force is so clear. Encourage one another. Mm-hmm. Strive towards unity. 
Um, if, if you're not doing that at all, you're not reflecting Christ. Mm-hmm. You're not living the holy life you're called to live. Um, it's, it's not just about what we don't do um, yeah. that, that makes us w- uh, become more sanctified. It, it, we should be more like Christ. Um, and he, what did he say? It, that he prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one. That's an amazing yeah. unity that we're mm-hmm. called to strive towards. And uh, hopefully, um, hopefully we do that. I know that at times I fail in this regard and can be <laughs> proud of my own self and my theology and um, particularly my denominational heritage, theologically speaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's something that I need to be watching out for so that I might be more like Jesus and striving towards, towards peace. But yeah. um, as we wrap up, I think I, I might summarize the episode by saying thumbs up, for uh, <laughs> denominations, um, but only as long as that that pride and that divisiveness is not a part of a denominational identity. Um, yeah. So I do think it's reasonable that in a in a sinful world where we see through um, you know the glass dimly lit, um, where we don't have full absolute knowledge yet of of who God is, hmm. um, it, it is not an a, a uh, absolutely comprehensive knowledge of him uh, that it is permissible that when people disagree on baptism and when they disagree on polity and various things, um, we can say we agree with our Roman Catholic and Orthodox and Lutheran and non-denominational brothers and sisters on all of the essentials of faith, and we love the word just like they do, but mm-hmm. it is good for uh, for us to teach these things that we're convinced of in Scripture. So. Yeah, for, um, the, that's for the where hope that the church will, in time, in due process, even if it takes thousands of years, become more aligned with God's word right. and more reformed to his word yeah. um, and therefore more honoring and glorifying and effective in in her mission. Uh, and so, yeah, as you said, thumbs up to denominations. <laughs> uh, we would love to hear any feedback. Yeah. There may be some of you who maybe this has ruffled some feathers um, friends that are non-denominational, especially. <laughs> sure. And so, yeah, we would love to hear, hear back from you and keep the conversation going. But we look forward to being with you again next week. All right. See you guys.